Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much, praise team. And Sam, it's great to have you back this weekend. Thank you for playing the drums for us this morning. And thank you, Julie, for the wonderful introduction to those songs that we praise God with today. We appreciate it very much. Well, one question that all of us, I think, are very much interested in is this question on the screen. Uh, how can I know God's will in my life? Or to put it another way, how can I receive God's guidance? Every serious Christian wants to know the answer to these questions. Uh, before he became a pastor, uh, John MacArthur was a traveling speaker for Talbot Theological Seminary. And traveling speakers have a bag of sermons that they preach over and over again in new locations. And he said one of the sermons that you had to have in your bag was how to know the will of God. Eventually, that sermon that he preached many, many times and the truths in that sermon became a book. And the title of that book, which you can still purchase, is Found God's Will, Find the Direction and Purpose God Wants for Your Life. How many copies of this book do you think have sold? You ready? About half a million. Half a million copies. Uh, that's a huge number for a Christian book. And what that tells us is how much interest believers have in this subject. Now, that's where we are at today as we are continuing to study the life of Joseph. We are coming to the concluding stages of his life. And one of the essential things that has to happen is the family needs to move from Canaan to Egypt to fulfill God's plan. Now, to do this, Jacob, the head of the family, the patriarch, needs to recognize this is God's will, and he needs to accept God's guidance. And how that comes about teaches us about how we can receive God's guidance in our lives as well. Do any of us here this morning have important decisions we need God's guidance on? Of course we do. Of course we do. And so this is very important for us, and it's very important for God. And He reveals this to us in the life of Joseph. Let's open our Bibles, shall we, to Genesis 45. And this morning we look at the second half of the chapter. Now we're going to see principles for God's guidance today. And then next week I want us to look at the conditions for God's guidance. In the chair Bible in front of you it is page 46. And I would encourage you to take your Bibles and turn there. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, nothing could be more important to us as believers who love you and want your will than to be able to know how to follow your guidance. And we thank you that in so many places in the Word, you've laid this out for us. And so, over these next two weeks, teach us the things you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the first thing we need to see and that we want to develop this morning is that God wants to guide believers into His will. 
That's the first essential thing that all of us need to grasp. As we say, this is something that I want, even more significantly, we need to understand this is what God wants to do. There's a wonderful statement from the very well-known missionary, Jim Elliott, who gave his life down in Ecuador, in which he said, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. Do you believe that this morning? I think all of us would say, yes, we believe that. That God wants to give His best to us if we will leave the choice with Him. God is not reluctant, is He? He wants us to know His will. Now, this trip for Joseph, for Jacob, the head of the family, was very, very difficult for him to accept that God was indeed guiding him to go to the land of Egypt. Look down at the end of the chapter, and let's begin at verse 25, and notice what it says. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. What a difficult thing this was that Jacob was being faced with. Now, it was difficult for a number of reasons. Number one, the news was very, very uh, overwhelming about Joseph and hard to believe. Uh, When Jacob heard it, we are told that he became numb. It is a word that actually means to turn cold. We would say he froze. He was stunned. He was shocked. One of the hardest things that I ever had to do was to go to an elderly couple in a nursing home and tell them that their only child had been killed in a car accident. And I remember Chris just immediately buried her hands in her head and began weeping, but John just stood in the middle of the room stunned, just absolutely stunned. The only thing he said is, I never thought I would ever hear this. And when I see Jacob's response, I think of John on that day. Over two decades, Jacob thought his son was dead. Now he learns he's alive, not only alive, but he is the second most powerful man in the entire world. This almost seems like a conspiracy theory, doesn't it? You know, Elvis is alive. And he's been seen in Kalamazoo. You know, that's kind of the shock here. You're kidding me. And then it says, he did not believe them. Why couldn't Jacob believe them? Well, for over two decades, they had lied to him. When it says he did not believe them, it's the idea he thought they were deceiving him. You have lied this long? I'm now just learning this? And you want me to believe this far-fetched story? And then it was hard because Egypt was a place of danger and threat for the patriarchs. Remember back in chapter 12 when Abraham went to Egypt? He got into a lot of trouble, didn't he? And that trouble created complications for his life. Isaac was told uh, Jacob's father in chapter 26, do not go down to Egypt. 
Egypt was the last place on earth that Jacob believed that God would be leading him to. And yet, God was. God was. Now, I see some principles here about God's guidance that are very, very important for us. As we try ourselves to discern God's will, what is the Bible teaching us? And let's spend some time this morning looking at these principles, all right? Here's the first one. God's guidance often takes time. You remember God's original revelation to Joseph. Remember in one of the dreams, Joseph dreamed that 11 stars, which represented his brothers, the sun, which represented his father, and the moon, which represented his mother, would bow down to him. And God was clearly revealing to him, Joseph, you're going to be the ruler And the family is one day going to come under your care and under your leadership. You know how many years it took between that time and the reunion between Jacob and Joseph? 23 years. 23 years. That is a long time by anyone's count. I had a professor in seminary who used to preach up. A very well-known sermon. And in the sermon, he would say, the shortest distance between two points in God's economy is a zigzag. And he would say, in geometry, all of us know that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But he said, in the spiritual life, the shortest distance between two points is often a zigzag because God takes us in directions that seem like delays. I had two breakups as a young adult from women that I thought that I was going to marry. And during those relationships and those breakups, what I didn't know is that God was preparing Ellen, whom I was going to meet when I was 30 years old. And I've often thought it would have been a whole lot easier had I known that. At 18, I thought, this is the one. At 25, I thought, This is the one. Not until I was 30 was it really the one. See, God had a plan for me and I needed to wait. I have a book in my library by Warren Wearsby that is entitled, God Isn't in a Hurry. God isn't in a hurry. And part of God's guidance is preparing us over time for the life that He has for us. And we need to be willing to wait. Here's a a second principle about uh, discerning and finding God's guidance. God's guidance often includes pain. It includes pain. Those 23 years... They were filled with untold pain for Joseph and his family. We have been seeing some of that pain. 
Joseph suffered as much as anybody that we know in the Bible. And when we ask the question, why? Why was pain so much a part of this life experience? Well, uh, the Bible tells us in very clear words. Let's read these verses from Philippians 1, 29 and 30. Words that we need to come back to on a regular basis because there's so much pain in life that we have to deal with. Read them with me. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him but also to suffer for Him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that part of God's plan for us as He guides us through life is that we are going to struggle. We are going to struggle. God prepares us through suffering. If you were to say to me, Pastor Brian, why do some believers suffer more than others? I would have to say to you, I don't know the full answer to that. I could never give an answer as to why some people in our congregation and others we know outside our congregation have suffered far more than many of us. I don't have an answer to that. But I do know this. I know that oftentimes the people that suffer the most are the most useful to God. Don't you agree with that? Oftentimes the people that suffer the most are the ones that become the most useful to God. There is something about suffering that tempers us. It molds us. It shapes us. It humbles us. Or at least it ought to. At least it ought to. And that's God's plan. Uh, Pastor MacArthur, who wrote that book that I told you about, found God's will. When he was in his 20s, he was in a serious car accident on the highway. He was thrown from the car and slid on his backside multiple, multiple yards down the highway, uh, developing severe wounds, as you can imagine. He was in the hospital recovering for those wounds for months. I believe it was at least three months he was hospitalized. It was then. And only then God called him to preach. You see, that suffering that he went through was God's plan to humble him and ultimately guide him into his destiny. And painful experiences sober us and they focus our attention on what is really important. Here's the third principle about God's guidance. Number three, God's guidance is clear if we are really seeking it. If we really want to know God's guidance and we're willing to say, all right, Lord, I will wait on your time. I will allow you to be God in the midst of my pain. God will make it absolutely clear how He is guiding us. Now let me ask you, what changed Jacob's mind? Look down at verse 27. 
But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel, the second name that God gave to him, said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go, and I will see him before I die. You see, when the evidence was clear that God indeed was guiding him, then Jacob said, now I'm ready to go. I'm ready to follow God's will. Now we know how the story has developed so far. God had sent Joseph ahead to save Egypt from starvation. And Pharaoh and his officers came to love Joseph for what he had done for their country. Uh, Think about uh, our love, for example, for President Lincoln. How he saved the Union. How we have the country that we have today because of his efforts that ultimately led to his death. No wonder he's the most beloved of all our presidents. And that's how Pharaoh and his officers felt about Joseph. And so now when they hear that his brothers are there and there's been this wonderful reconciliation and reunion, Pharaoh is delighted to have Joseph's family join him in Egypt. And the things that Pharaoh now does were used to convince Jacob this is God's will. Let's note them. First thing Pharaoh did, Pharaoh confirmed with a promise Joseph's plans to his brothers. Look at verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. You know what that is? That's the exact plan that Joseph had described earlier in the chapter. And now, Pharaoh confirms that plan with this promise. Notice the second thing. Pharaoh sent wagons to help with the the travel for the family. Verse 19, And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Do you know wagons at this time were found nowhere else than in the land of Egypt? And how many of you think these were rickety old wooden wagons? How many of you think that these were covered wagons that would break down in the middle of nowhere because they were so rickety and old? Of course you know not. These wagons were meticulously fashioned and richly ornamented carts. Today, it would be like sending a fleet of Cadillacs to pick up the family and travel back with them. What an incredible thing this was. And then notice, Pharaoh promised them complete household furnishings when they arrived. Look at verse 20. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. 
What's he saying? Don't worry about your household furnishings. Don't bring your couch. Don't worry about bringing your utensils, your silverware, your dishes. Don't worry about any, any, any uh, uh, tools that you may need. When you arrive, all those things are going to be furnished for you. And then notice, Pharaoh loaded them down with incredible provisions for the journey. Look at verse 21. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. Did you notice that Joseph gave to Benjamin five times as much? 300 shekels of silver, five changes of clothing. Why him? Well, he was Joseph's only full brother. And when he arrived back in Canaan and showed the 300 shekels to Jacob and the five changes of very fancy clothing, Jacob would know. Only Joseph would honor Benjamin like this because he was his full brother. It would be one more evidence God was in this. By the way, I want to ask you this question. Why did Joseph warn his brothers not to quarrel on the way? Why did he do that? Well, he knew they would have a very difficult truth to confess to Jacob. And he knew it would be very easy to start finger-pointing. And finger-pointing always leads to blame-shifting, and blame-shifting always leads to arguing. And arguing amongst grown men can eventually lead to physical fighting. All of that would destroy the newfound unity in the family and it would ruin the entire trip. Here's what Joseph was saying. Listen, brothers, I have forgiven you. Now you forgive each other. And you put the past beside you. And when they arrived back home to their father and he saw the changed relationship between these men it would be one more evidence to convince Jacob God was in this whole thing. Do you see what's going on? God was making it absolutely clear that this was His plan for Jacob and his family. Do you know, over the years of my life, I've never had to push open a door that God was leading me to. I've never had to do that. When the time came, it was very, very clear to me that God was opening a door. There have been times in my life when I felt stuck, and there have been times when I wanted the door to open faster than it did, 
But when the door was open, all I had to do was just go through that door. You know, I've thought about this often. I was single so long, as you know, I wasn't married till I was 32. When I got married, it was actually hard for me to believe it was happening. I thought to myself, how did all of this come about so fast? And it was just very, very clear to me, very clear, that the timing was right, that the person that God had led me to was right, and therefore this was His will, and I didn't have to make this thing happen. I just had to follow clearly God's plan for what He wanted for me. And I still look back in some days and just realize that God knew exactly what He was doing. Listen, God is not trying to hide His will from us. He's not. His will is not vague. His will is not blurry. Here's what we need to do. This is what God is teaching us. That if we will wait on His timing... And we we will allow Him to be God in the midst of our pain and to submit to whatever He is trying to teach us. Then when it is time, His will will be absolutely clear if we are seeking that will. That's what we learn here this morning in this wonderful episode in the life of Joseph. Now, this morning I want to ask you, um, do you see these lights that are lined up on this pier? You can see four of them that are on and they're all lined up and three of them you can see their shadows on the water below on the deck of the pier. Pastor Bob Mumford tells about a, a certain harbor in Italy that can only be reached by sailing up a narrow channel between very dangerous rocks and shoals. And over the years, there have been many ships that have been wrecked, and navigation is very hazardous. So here's what they did. To guide the ship safely into port, three lights have been mounted on three poles in the harbor. And as a captain is guiding his ship through this narrow harbor, when the three lights are perfectly lined up and seen as one, then he knows I can safely proceed to the dock. But here's what happens. If the pilot can see two lights or three lights, then he knows I'm off course and I'm in danger. And here's what Pastor Mumford said. God also has provided beacons to guide us. And the very same rules of navigation apply. The lights must line up before it is safe for us to proceed. What are these harbor lights of God's guidance? Well, here are three of them. The Word of God, that's the objective standard, and Joseph had that, didn't he? Joseph had the revelation of God. He knew the plan of God. Do you know the plan of God from his revelation? 
Secondly, the Holy Spirit, that's the subjective witness. And Joseph had the Holy Spirit, didn't he? Guiding him to have wisdom and discernment as he looked at the plan of God and then made decisions in accord with God's plan. And then thirdly, circumstances or divine providence. In Joseph's life, when the doors closed, he waited on God. He accepted the pain and the suffering. He submitted. But when the doors then opened, he took steps of action. He did what he knew God was leading him to do. Now, I would add one other one other beacon that was, is essential for us to guide us, and that is godly leaders or wise counsel. Listen to what one of my Old Testament professors, Alan Ross, has to say at this point. Listen carefully. Now that God's hand on Joseph could be so clearly seen, Joseph's instructions must be followed. God was obviously using His chosen and wise leader to lead others. And it became a fourth light to guide Jacob and his entire family. Now what is God teaching us? When all four line up and they become one, then we can very clearly see to do God's will. As I mentioned to you, uh, I was about 31 when I became engaged to Ellen. And my dear father-in-law, who I came to love so much over the many years who passed away this past year, I respected him so much that I decided even though I've been an adult for many years and I'm old enough now, I don't need to ask for someone's permission. Ellen's old enough. She doesn't need to ask for someone's permission. But I wanted to have the blessing of her parents and especially her father. And so I remember that day when I went to the church where he was a custodian and, and searched for him. You know the story. I've told it to you before. I found him in the men's room cleaning. And I felt that's not the best place to ask for Ellen's hand in marriage. <laughs> so we stepped outside. We stepped outside. And I said, Mr. Wheeler, I believe that God has led us together and I love Ellen very much. And we've talked about this and I believe that God would want us to get married. And I said, I'm here to ask your permission. He graciously gave that permission. I had a sense that he was going to do that. But you know, had he said no, and had he said, here are the reasons why either I'm saying no or you need to wait, he was such a godly man, I think I would have said, this needs to be taken into consideration. I need to think about this. And I need to think about why he might be saying that. And what God might be saying to me. And you see, the first three had, had lined up. But 
I wanted that fourth one as well. Because this was obviously one of the most important decisions I could ever make. God wants to guide you. He wants His will to be clear to you. He wants these beacons to line up for you that you will make the right choices. And when they do, you can proceed with this blessing. Let's take a moment, shall we, and let's, let's thank Him for that. Just before we conclude this morning, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, this is God's Word for you and me. One of the most important things about us are the choices we make. We truly make our choices and then our choices will make or unmake us. And nothing is more important than making the choices God wants us to make. Now sometimes God will allow us to make mistakes and He will teach us even through those mistakes. But sometimes we bring unnecessary trouble upon ourselves and grief that God never intended because we chose out of His will. And God wants to keep us from that. And that's why what we read here in Genesis 45 is not just simply about Joseph and Jacob and their family, but it's about you and me. And it's about a God who always gives His best to those who will leave the choice with Him. And would you say today, Lord, that's what I want. That's truly what I want. I want to wait on Your timing. I want to accept in Your providence whatever pain You may think I need. And then I want to believe with all my heart that you will make your will clear and you will call me to act in faith on that will. What incredible peace that will give to you. What incredible peace it gives to me. That's the peace that God wants us to have. Lord, Thank you for being such an ever-present help in our lives. Thank you that you're not absent. Thank you that you're not a God who is simply far off, but a God who is also near. And thank you that you are not a God who seeks to make your future for us fuzzy and blurry so that we could never know what it is you want us to do. Help us to wait upon You. Help us to trust You. Help us to believe in You for Your best.
and make the choices in line with your will. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen.